Hello, my name is Celia Hirsch, and I'm a volunteer with Igniting Change, an intentionally tiny but outcome-mighty organisation based in Melbourne, Australia. Igniting Change has walked alongside many individuals and organisations making a difference, usually working with very thorny issues in decidedly unsexy areas. It's unlike any charity you may have previously encountered, and its catchphrase is, see the person, not the label. What we are seeking to do with this podcast is introduce you to the people of Igniting Change and the people we work alongside. Today's guest is Afi Akwe. She is the director of Twitch, which is a not-for-profit sewing group that helps women from non-English speaking backgrounds. She's also a nursing student. Hello, Afi. Hello, Celia. I know that you have an interesting story to tell about your life and how you got here. Should we start with where you were born? So I was born in Khartoum and I, when I was about four, we moved to Egypt because of the civil war in Sudan. And um, so we went up the Nile into Egypt, stayed there for three years and then we came to Australia. So at that time, how many kids were in your family? So when we moved from Sudan to Egypt, there were three and then one was born in Egypt. Then we moved to Australia and then the other three were born in Australia. So what are we talking here? How many children <laughs> does your mum have? There's seven of us in total. What do you remember of, if anything, of that time between Sudan and Egypt? I remember the ship that we were on when we went from, uh, from Sudan to Egypt. What was it like? It was interesting. I sort of just remember sort of feeling that water underneath mm-hmm. us and sort of seeing pyramids in the distance when we were sort of approaching Egypt and just there were a lot of other people on there with us and, you know, we were all just trying to reach a better place, I guess, Um, because the war hadn't hit where we were yet, but it was coming close. So my parents and, you know, a lot of people like my parents decided to leave before it was too late to actually be able to get out. I remember getting to Egypt and we had to live with other Um, family friends who had fled before us and I just remember this apartment building on like a high rise and there were like six other families Mm. in this like three bedroom apartment and so my whole family was in just one bedroom and I just remember it was crowded and there were kids running everywhere all the time but I mean it was a better life than the one we knew so we were kind of like well this is what we have to do to survive. When you were on that ship, I mean, did you sense an air of panic or fear? No, because I mean, I was a little kid. I thought we were just going on a bit of an adventure. (laughs) So I was kind of clueless and I was like, oh, this is really cool. And there's so many other kids and everyone's having fun. So yeah, I didn't really know what was happening. So how long did you stay in Egypt? Three years. So by this time you're seven, have you started schooling in Egypt? Well, my dad homeschooled us um, and then my older brother got to go to school, but I broke my arm before I started school. So my dad decided it was too, a bit too dangerous for me to go to school. So I, yeah, I was homeschooled most of the time. How did you get to Australia? So as soon as we arrived in Egypt, we applied for refugee status in Australia and it took three years to process. So we weren't really staying in Egypt by choice Mm. um it wasn't a very welcoming place i mean we had family friends and would sort of stick together 
but the sort of wider Egyptian community was very racist towards black people. It was a very hard time. And eventually, after three years of, you know, battling, we got accepted to Australia and we came here and we were like, oh, thank God. Why did your parents choose Australia? I don't know if they really chose it. They were just sort of trying to get anywhere. But I think Australia was where we knew people that could sort of sponsor us and help us out when we got here because you don't want to go somewhere where you don't know anyone and then it'll just make it even harder to um, sort of get used to it and to assimilate, I guess. We knew people who had gone to Australia, so we knew that we would have that support system when we did come over and, you know, if we did come over. Mm. And what was it like when you got here? Yeah, interesting. I Mm. think the first thing that I remember seeing was just all the lights. Like, there were just so many lights um, when we got to the airport and then the drive from the airport to the family friend's house and there was just I just remember like there being so many lights everywhere and I don't know why but that just stood out to me I guess there's just not that many lights in Sudan and there weren't that many lights in Egypt but it was just so bright and I guess it sort of just made me feel like oh this might be like we might be okay here just a sense of welcoming and I guess, hope. Optimism, maybe. Yeah. 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 Did you go to school straight away? Yes. So I went to an English language centre for about six months to learn English. And then um, I was at a year three level. So they put me into year three for six months. And yeah, then I was at the same level as everyone else. And what was that like being in that classroom? Were there many other faces like yours there? Yeah, yeah. I remember we'd all sort of connect together and crowd together with all the other Sudanese kids just because we felt comfort and the sort of safety net in each other. It was really interesting and I was, you know, a nerd to say the least Um, and I loved learning so that just being able to learn new things every day, I was just always excited for school. What was the attitude of the others who who were not sort of Sudanese, who weren't, Mm. did you experience racism when you were at school? Yeah, unfortunately there was racism from kids and also from teachers every now and then who would you know question your ability um and because i'd been in english language center for only six months so i'd technically only had six months to learn english so they questioned whether i was capable of being at a year three level with all the other kids who had you know lived in australia their whole lives and And you showed them and obviously i showed them (laughs) and past year three and everything but there were also other kids who would sort of yeah, just question my being there and, you know, would get things like, oh, why are there so many of you coming over now and what's going on and Mm. why are you coming to my country and stuff like that. And I think the kids don't mean to be racist. It's just they're just repeating things that they hear, whether Mm. it's at home or from the television or whatever. They're just sort of repeating that same thing and they don't really have an idea of the effect that it has on the kids they're saying it to. Was that enough to to make you upset while you were at school or did you have enough padding with the other kids around? I had a great support system um, in my family and my friends and I sort of was like, well, I can't let them, you know, get in the way of my education and my parents worked so hard to to get me here so that I can learn and that I can, you know, hopefully build a better life for myself than the one they had. So I can't, you know, let people who are just upset about whatever they're upset about mm. get in the way of that. So. And what were mum and dad doing at this time? Working, I think. I can't remember. Yeah, just looking for jobs, babies. working, <laughs> having more kids. <laughs> Fast forward now to, to recent sort of news headlines about African gangs and apex gang and the response that ended up manifesting 
in, in your and your family's lives. Uh, your mum, I remember talking about saying things like that she would rather have left the boys in Sudan than to have them experience the sort of racism that they were experiencing. What was what was going on at that time and now still? So the sort of racism that we experience in Australia is very different to the racism we experienced in Egypt. And, you know, I always say this in some ways, I preferred the racism in Egypt because it was very upfront and you sort of knew where people stood. Um, but here you get people who will be nice to your face and then go behind your back and do things and act racist and not change policies and, you know, question why you're in places or you have security guards following you everywhere and the media just spewing lies. So it's very hard to determine who your allies are and who your friends are um, in a way. I remember when we were younger, my brother had a friend and they were white and they were friends and everything. I mean, we have lots of white friends now, but <laughs> this was very, <laughs> That's good to hear. Yeah, very early in our days. And, you know, my mom was like, yeah, that like we didn't even think about it. We we're just like, you know, people are people. You just make friends with everyone. And then one day they like accused my brother of stealing their dog for some reason and my mom was just like why would we you know steal a dog so it just shows you like people who consider themselves your friend and then all of a sudden they just turn on you and accuse you of things and um, I think that sort of puts up a wall in terms of trying to engage with the wider community because you just don't know who to trust. Well it hardens your heart a bit doesn't it? Definitely you put your trust in people mm. and then they just turn around and say these things mm. about you or people you thought you knew and then they you know, said there's nothing wrong with blackface. And you're just like, yeah, well, I didn't didn't know you as well as I thought I did. <laughs> so for your brothers too, it's been difficult. What sorts of things have they had to endure? My younger brother, who is 14, 13, 14, around there, he's, you know, had security guards stop him. He's had people just like a few weeks ago, actually, him and my younger sister went to the shops and she's about 12 um, and, you know, they bought everything. They were doing the self-serve thing and they were about to leave and the lady who was standing there the whole time and had watched them scan everything. Correctly. went Yeah, went up to them and was like, oh, did you scan everything? And they were like, mm. yeah, you just watched us scan everything. And she's like, do you have a receipt? And they're like, no, we didn't think we'd need to print one. And then she made them wait there. She went back to the machine, printed oh. off a receipt then came back and checked that they'd scanned everything. And I think it was just ridiculous. And the fact that they didn't have an adult there, she just saw her opportunity to sort of bring them down and to dig into them. And I just thought it was very inappropriate for 12 and 14 year old to have to be questioned when she was standing there the mm. entire time that they were scanning everything. And it was just, yeah, ridiculous. So what can you do? Is there, I guess it makes you angry. Yeah. What sort of things can you do? Well, personally, I enjoy writing letters or talking to people, just trying to, you know, take it up to people who can make a change and maybe providing more training, um, whether it's in schools. I've spoken to their principal and stuff about incidences with the teachers and just trying to get people who are higher up to sort of implement, you know, training and teaching people how to not be racist, I guess, because mm -hmm. in some ways it's sort of ingrained in the culture and in the way that, yeah, people just do everything and they think they're just doing their job. But, like, there's this history of racism and sometimes when you go to two black kids and ask them to check their bags or whatever, it's not just you doing your job. There's this fear that's subconscious and 
you think to yourself. I'm being treated yeah, like a you, thief. Yeah, and you're like, oh, it's unpleasant. Well, are they just doing their job, or yeah. am I, or are they like targeting me? And for the people doing it, they sometimes don't know that you know they don't know what they're doing, and they just sort of pick out people. And then there's people who do know what they're doing, and they're targeting mm. kids, especially is what I have a problem with. Like, yeah. if you want to come to me, that's fine because I'm grown and I can defend myself. But to go up to kids, like they don't really have any options because if they try to speak against it, they think they're going to get the cops called yes. on them and they're going to get arrested mm. and all this is going to happen. So it's just, yeah. Well, it's an interesting conversation to be having. Was it a world that you came into feeling outside of or was it simply your world and these were annoyances on the outside? Yeah, I think this is just sort of the world we live in. I mean, we can try to make change, but it wasn't, the racism wasn't surprising in any way. Um, I don't think I'm ever surprised when people are racist because it's just, it's a system that's, you know, been going for hundreds and hundreds of years. And I think we're, you know, we've made a lot of changes and we've progressed, but we're still behind in some ways. Yeah, so I definitely wasn't expecting it to be any different. And these are things that just sort of happen. And I think in my siblings, I try to tell them as well, you're probably going to experience this and it's it's unfair and it's not not okay and we'll try to make changes but it's not something that you can really avoid. When did you first come into contact with Igniting Change? I'd say about two years ago because yeah before that they were helping out with Twitch but they'd only met with my mum and um, yeah the other woman in the group. And tell me but a bit about, about Twitch. Twitch so we train and employ women from non-English speaking backgrounds. So we train them up in sewing skills and then they make clothes and bags and then we sell those and employ them. If they don't have the, the language skills, does sewing have its own sort of body language? Yeah, something that we try to really point out is that people don't need to speak English very well to be able to be skilled. So I think when it comes to sewing, a lot of people, like my mother, are visual learners and they will see something and then they're able to do it. Or So if they watch you do something, then they can do it themselves. And I think um, a lot of my mum's learning was that way. So she wanted to provide a space where other women who learnt the same way she did can um, have the opportunity to, you know, showcase their skills and to learn in a way that's not just sitting and having to speak a lot of English and having to know a lot of English to be able to do this because, you know, at the end of the day, they can still put together a dress. They don't have to be able to guide you through it in English of like, you know, every single step. And what else does it does it bring for these women? It creates a sense of community and a sense of belonging and a sense of dignity in a way because a lot of them don't have jobs or there's a lot of women who struggle to get jobs because they don't think their English is good enough or you know a lot of interviews for jobs you have to talk and they ask you about yourself and just for them to try and articulate themselves in a way so people actually want to employ them is very hard and I think when you apply for a lot of jobs and you don't end up getting any it just it sort of messes with your dignity and your pride and um, your ability to provide for your family so giving them a space where they don't have to rely on their ability to speak English but rather their skills yeah makes it a lot I guess a lot easier for them to get a job and to feel empowered. So Igniting Change was helping out Twitch already what has Igniting Change done in terms of your life? Oh so much they've been more than you know they've just been friends and and family really and they've you know been there 
to support us anytime that we needed anything, whether it was to do with Twitch or in our personal life. And they've just, yeah, really been friends. And um, anytime we have a problem, it doesn't matter if it's about Twitch or not. They're just there to help out in any way that they can. So your life's really moving forward now. What's happening in Effie's world? Yeah, I'm almost finished with my bachelor's degree um, in? in nursing. So in a few months, I will be a registered nurse. And yeah, I don't think I would have been here if it wasn't for igniting change because I would have had to try and find a job or try and look for stuff. But they were really good in supporting me in that way so that I didn't have to you know, be stressed and I could really focus on my studies. What sort of nurse do you think you'll be? I'm leaning towards mental health nursing. I really enjoy it. I just think it's an under-resourced area and it's a really special area to be able to work in and to help people, I think. What sort of qualities do you bring to the job? What do people say Um, about Effie as a nurse? I'm very enthusiastic. I like to just get in there and get stuff done and just, yeah, help out in any way I can and just yeah always on my feet and I try to engage in any way I can which is yeah I think is a good quality and I think you have to be able to just engage all the time and be enthusiastic because you're working with people who are very vulnerable and if you're not happy to be there it's not going to make their time any easier. I think you might have left out a word there which I think is kindness. I think you have that in abundance. (laughs) <laughs> I'm sure people have get, said that yeah, to you. I get told that a lot, that I'm very kind. But I just think it's it doesn't really cost anything to be kind. Did you always want to be a nurse? Well, I wanted to be a doctor. And then I was like, I'm not studying for 20 years. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, I'll be a nurse. And I think because I did a year in a Bachelor of Science, I think it just made me realise that it may be not, maybe it's not the kind of medical field that I want to go into. Just because... You want to be caring. Yeah, I think I'm more of a people person. I mean, doctors can be, you know, you have to be a people person. But I think nursing is more of the role that I like and just caring for people and being there with them. And I think doctors have a limited amount of time where they can be with patients, especially, you know, in this healthcare system. And Mm. there's so many people that need help. So you don't really get to see people for that long. And I think I need that to sort of be there with someone and see them through. And yeah, I think well, I'm, I'm more qualified to be a nurse. If anyone was lucky enough to, to get you as a nurse, they'd be really happy about it. So good luck with uh, getting your final Thank you. Basics. I'm going to need it. Afi, I ask everybody who does the podcast, what's the one thing Igniting Change has taught you? They've taught me a lot. I think just to sort of let my walls down, I think is the one thing that they've taught me and just to like rely on people and just to hold them reliable because they're always there and I think some people will be like oh we're family and we'll always be there for you and if you need anything just ask but you don't know if they really mean it but I think when Igniting Change anyone from Igniting Change says that they really mean it and you know when they're like we are family they really mean that and they're always there if I need it and I think it took me a while to actually let my walls down and be like oh maybe they are actually family and they're really there um, when I need it. That's it for this Igniting Change podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please be sure to press subscribe to ensure you don't miss future episodes. Thanks for listening. And remember, see the person, not the label.